Hello and welcome. The Portavud Institute for the Study of the Iranian World welcomes you to another episode of our podcast, Legacies of Ancient Persia. Join us as we further explore the many legacies of ancient Persia and its relevance to global patrimony. everyone and welcome to another episode of Legacies of Ancient Persia. This week our guest is Layla Johnson, a Lebanese American video game developer specializing in historical strategy games and CEO of Mohawk Games. In this episode we discuss her growing up in Lebanon with a love for history, learning all about Cyrus the Great and conducting historical research for her video game Old World, and working with a composer to achieve an ancient sounding and culturally appropriate game soundtrack. Unfortunately, my normal microphone died and I was forced to use my headphones, so apologies for the sound quality. Additionally, Layla was still recovering from an illness, so her voice hadn't fully recovered yet either. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you like what you hear, please give our show a five-star rating and review us on Apple or Spotify. All right, thanks for joining me, Layla. I want to just start people off with a short introduction about you and how you got into gaming, because... I think people don't really have, you know, any idea how the gaming industry really uh, comes together because it's so it's full of such diverse people. And so I want to give them a good basis for, you know, how someone was able to come into it from places outside of the U.S. or U.K. where these industries are most popular. Sure. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm very happy being here, Alexi, talking to you again. So I'm Leila Johnson. I, I originally am from Lebanon. My name uh, is Leila Ruhana. And uh, the way I got into gaming isn't isn't necessarily by choice. I didn't choose my career. I didn't think I was going to be here where I'm at being a CEO of a, a video game company and making games. So originally I studied journalism and politics and education. And I had a couple of radio shows and I also worked for the state department and eventually i was hoping i become a teacher at a university so that was the choice my ultimate choice of where i wanted to be career-wise i married a video game designer and in 2013 we decided to put our savings together to start our own company me having the stable job at the state department just in case it doesn't work out eventually our publisher went bankrupt and uh, Soren needed help. So I jumped on board and now we run it together. So it's kind of, it's actually fun. I love being where I'm at because it is, it tailors to the geek inside me. I love reading about history. The games we make are historical and, you know, strategy. I, I love these games. So I'm making the games I play. That's wonderful. And that's, it's again, really wonderful to hear how someone did not actually want to go into gaming ended up there. And I, so I think that also it's interesting that, I mean, so, so let's go back a bit. Did you grow up studying history formally? Did you always just have a love for it? Because I think, you know, we have, okay, the really cool sort of State Department side, which is more in the poli-sci realm. So yeah, where does the history come into it? Yeah, it's uh, it's one of the things I just was very passionate about. I was always curious to know what happened before. Yeah, I was always interested in the past. I loved reading about how people developed certain things. Why do we do the things that we do? It was interest in culture 
in history and traditions. This romance I had for the past, I still I still have it, which opened opened many doors for me. I, I learned how to speak. Um, so in Lebanon, we learned how to speak French while learning how to speak Arabic and uh, learning how to speak Lebanese at the same time. And I was already fluent in three languages by the age of seven or eight. And eventually I wanted to learn English because I was curious, why do Americans do blank? The American culture is my biggest reason why I learned I learned English. It's because of the music and the movies and uh, this culture that was so available everywhere. And I was very curious to know about it. And then I wanted to learn Spanish, which opened up a whole a range of information somewhere else in the world. And I was just always curious about how people speak different things and what they mean. I loved making connections. And of course, if you if you actually look behind people who have this type of pattern, you'll see someone who loves history. And eventually I married someone who studied at uh, history at Stanford, Thorin. And uh, just we had the world to talk about. <laughs> just, conversations don't stop. Yeah, I love history. I'm absolutely passionate about it. I think my my list of books that I read is largely historical. Reading about the history of Lebanon and the Phoenicians and the Ottoman Empire all at once right now. Oh, that's really cool. That's a that's a great that sounds like a great read. So I recently got into uh, Ottoman history. I had to for my master's thesis last year, but um, I would love to. Mm. It's it's like a gateway drug. You read one thing and then you're like, oh, I got to read more. I got to read more. (laughs) Well, it's connected. It's connected for me because Lebanon was uh, occupied or ruled for 400 years by the Ottoman Empire. So I'm like digging and you're so right. Like I was digging into the Phoenician history and the history of Lebanon much deeper than what we were taught in school. And then, of course, everything goes back to like somewhere else where I need to like open a new door. And what do you know, like my my nightstand has seven very big books. I don't think it's fun. Like people who are listening, listening to us saying this is fun read. I mean, there are friends who stop going in, in car rides with Soren and myself, because if it's a long ride, we're probably going to end up talking about history. That's kind of boring. Like, I'm not joking. <laughs> How could that be boring? Goodness me, I'd love a long, like, seven-hour <laughs> road trip just talking about history, because I swear you'll get from, like, ancient Rome to some weird thing, and then you'll circle back and then end up in like Mesopotamia. And you're like, how did that just go in a big circle? Yeah. Which happened first, right? Like now that we have children, I'm so happy because like we can manipulate them any way we want. So they, they think this is fun conversation because they just been around us for too long. Oh, maybe we all aspire to have yeah. history curious children who want to talk about like the weirdest mysteries of ancient history with us so I mean and and it's really cool I mean Phoenician history you know it's so interconnected and I I love the ancient cultures most that were quite uh, mobile right you know they you have this long history of trading and ships and the ones who kind of get around I mean you know all ancient cultures are super amazing in their own way but it's very funny because sometimes I think about you know a place like Egypt and like well, they kind of went out of their cocoon and they conquered, but then they like to come back home and they're like the ancient homebodies. Um, you know, they didn't really kind of go out and, and want to be everywhere. So 
for those that did it's always kind of fun because then you get these great stories of them going and discovering other places and you're like oh okay so what can i what can i learn about where did they go this time or what did they find what are we going to trade so kind of sticking with the history theme i was going to say so it seems like you know you definitely have a, a broad interest in history in general right so when you sort of decided to sort of take this further though you know was it a conscious decision to sort of stay close to your own you know country history did you want to expand and try something like different like vastly different you know how did this sort of build uh, i wish i can translate this in a best way uh, in lebanon we have a saying that says which translates to uh the closest church isn't my place of prayer. Like we always want to expand beyond where we are. And somehow I found myself back in Lebanon. I expanded to all other cultures and I dug much deeper than I would than I would dig in my own backyard. And now that I am at this age, after digging in the big cultures and the ones that, you know, were required for old world, I wanted to just dig a whole lot deeper into the... Lebanese and Phoenician history. When I say deeper, it's like I have good knowledge, but I am on the geekiest level. Like I'm literally learning Phoenician. <laughs> so that's deeper for me. I'm going through the Phoenician alphabet and trying to restructure words and see like, oh, wow, this is the evolution of what we know today. Uh, it was the written alphabet coming from, from Phoenicia. So uh, I was like, oh, let me see the progression here. So it's a whole level of geek. No, that's fantastic. And and it is quite interesting because I know there's, you know, a lot of cultures, like having just been in Greece last year, Greeks really love learning about their history, their very illustrious history. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's other places that, you know, they're like, yeah, our history is awesome. Egypt. Yeah, exactly. Egypt as well. Egypt. Yeah, this, uh, this year I've been noticing, especially because of social media, how much the Egyptians are pushing back against, you know what, we have this unique identity, we have this unique history, we have that that people neglected for for decades in, in Egypt. And you see that the young ones now are really bringing that the Egyptian identity back. There are some clips that I saw online uh, that they've been promoting where old Egyptian script is part of the new songs and they're printing t-shirts with the old Egyptian letters. It's really, it's really nice to see this push to learn more about your heritage and your history. So, yeah. Yeah, no, and I think it's, you know, it's important to do so. You kind of want to know, you know, what, your you know your your home has been through it's something to help you know connect with your community so yeah no i think it's a a really great movement Uh, so okay now i want to pivot us a little because you mentioned old world and so for those who are not aware of what it is can you tell our audience just just like brief summary of what old world is and also why it's super awesome Old World is this video game that takes you back to the uh, classical antiquity. And you have seven civilizations. You can pick one and start with a leader. We did uh, a lot of research to create this game. It's it's a product of love. It's a historical strategy. And you start with your leader of choice and you build your kingdom and you marry if you're not already married. 
and in some cases you can marry multiple people depends on the rule of, of your land around that time you can also change the settings to make it whatever you want and uh, you expand your kingdom you make alliances you also try to keep on good terms with your family members so they won't assassinate you because back in the day that's what they used to do and speaking of the ottoman empire that's basically every ruler who made it to the throne killed all of their siblings but that's just too broad most of the rulers because <laughs> i don't want someone to come well actually there is a handful of people who didn't but back in the day, to establish legitimacy, you have to eliminate anybody else who might have a call to the throne. So, yeah, you have to keep on good terms with your wife, uh, with your kids. You have to also make sure that they have the right tutors so they become good leaders. So it's just very busy in your kingdom and you just have to make it through. Eventually you'll die. Your heir will take over and they keep going. Wars will happen. So you have to be... To be continuously with every new character that's taken over your land, you have to play the hand you are dealt with this new ruler you are being. I love the game because it has the right amount of strategy and the right amount of randomness. Because at the end of the day, your kid will be whatever they want to be. You can only have so much influence over them in real life and in the game. And you just have to lead with whatever ruler you've created. So it's kind of nice. I like old world. Thank you, like thank you, really. <laughs> I mean, it's an amazing game, and, and you know what? I I think one thing I love most is that one, it's a more accessible game for those who don't consider themselves gamers, and you know, it, it doesn't require having like a super complicated console setup. So it is one of those that you know any sort of casual history fan can sort of pick up put in a computer and be like, okay, let me just try this. And, you know, I don't think it's too hard to learn how to play. So it's kind of good for, for people of all ages. And, and just, you know, to, to provide example for any of our listeners who are, you know, on the, on the older side who are like, oh, no, I don't understand this gaming thing. I gave it to my now 84-year-old father who is like, I don't game. I don't understand this. I don't know anything. I like put it on his laptop and just booted it up. And I was like, dad, just, just, just try it. Look, it's really easy. There's like a guide. It will help you. And within like two hours, he was like having a great time. He's like, there's so much history. <laughs> it's accessible. It's not easy. It's not easy to make a historical game because as soon as you uh, want to replicate history the same way it happened or what we know of this, the, the, the way it happened, you are removing agency from the player. So yes, there's history. And we'll always come back to that. We'll always provide the player with information that this actually happened. If you want to read more about it, click that link. Uh, there's like a, a globe, uh, an icon they can click to learn more about what happened. But we're hoping that by osmosis, we are recreating a world and saturating the game with all sorts of information to take the player back to that specific part of the world. So... Uh, even the music, I don't know if, did you know that we were nominated, we were the only indie game this year to be nominated for a Grammy? We didn't win it. I did know that, but the audience doesn't, so they're going to learn. Well, it's, it's amazing. It's really, really nice to have worked on something. We worked on the, on the, on the soundtrack. We worked for, for four years on that soundtrack, but I dug deeper again. Uh, my idea of deeper is a little different. So I went and researched all sorts of people who play ethnic music from that part of the world and worked with some of them. Some of them aren't aren't alive anymore. 
and I tried to recreate music from music from that part of the world, working with the awesome Christopher Tan, who already won a couple of Grammys for his work in the games industry as well. I absolutely love the music. I have the soundtrack on my phone. I listen to it. And and okay, so I do want to get into that now. Just just again for a little exposition for the audience. Who are the seven people you can play in the game? The seven cultures. Mm, yeah. So uh, you have Dido of Carthage, that's Phoenicia. And you have Hatshepsut of Egypt. You have Cyrus the Great of Persia, Philip II, the father of Alexander the Great of Greece. And you have Ramus of Rome and Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia and Ashurbanipal of Assyria, Ashuria. I think I've gone over them. I think that sounds like everyone. Uh, I haven't played the game in a while, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's everyone. They're, they're like my babies. I created them, <laughs> you know. I've researched them. I I, uh, I was the art director for 2D Art, so I just researched the way they looked and how the, their skin tones and their hairstyles and with jewelry that they wore. So you feel like, you know, this is... You don't want to forget one of your children. Like, I want to make sure... <laughs> Oh, I get it. I know. Well, spending years with them and creating them, I mean, this definitely creates a connection. And so for the purposes of our audience, I'm sure they're going to be excited and say, oh, I can play as Cyrus the Great. You know, it's interesting. The more I've been doing this, the more I've sort of realized that people have a cursory understanding of like Persian and other Middle Eastern cultures history when you say persians a lot of people will one confuse it with some like the other mesopotamian civilizations or they'll say oh yes i know cyrus and like maybe a darius or a xerxes if you're lucky Mm -hmm. yeah so it's interesting i mean any particular reason you chose cyrus and not darius or xerxes or someone else well we were trying to go back to somebody who started who how far can we go back to create a leader that we have enough information about and has a very, very interesting story to tell. And honestly, Cyrus is just a phenomenal pick for a multitude of reasons. First of all, Cyrus is the father-in-law of Darius. And Darius would not have been if Cyrus didn't create that opportunity. It is it is phenomenal for me, Cyrus the Great, with his story, how many things uh, were inspired by his being as I was listening one day to Dan Carlin in a podcast of King of Kings. If you haven't listened to this, go listen to it really. What is it called? Histories Untold? Um, I don't know, but he has this, this podcast that is just phenomenal that I, uh, that I can't get enough of. One of those favorite ones of, of mine are The Wrath of Khans, which is about the, the Mongols. Hardcore history, that's what it's called. And The King of Kings, which tells the story of Cyrus the Great. And what I didn't know is that Shakespeare, for example, with his literature work of Titus Andronicus, the guy who cooked a meal around someone's child and fed them that meal, is based on this violent story from the times of Cyrus the Great. That the story of beware of your child, she's gonna bear a prince who's gonna come after you actually comes from the story of Cyrus the Great. So yeah, 
So here's a man who was very happy ruling this land. And he, had, he gives birth to this beautiful, wonderful princess. And one day he has a dream or is told that your princess will marry this mighty ruler and she will come after you. So her father decided to marry her off to this unknown kingdom somewhere and be done with her. A year later, he has another dream that she bore a son and he was strangling him. So he sent his captain or military leader or somebody he trusted to go and kill that child. So he went over there, kidnapped the child, didn't have the hearts to kill him, gave him to a shepherd and a shepherd raised him. And the shepherd raised him knowing that he is the son of royalty. So he provided the best things for him, thinking he's of noble blood. He has to have the best of everything. And eventually that kid was very well trained in military combat and in all sorts of arts and made his way back to the court of his grandfather. And the grandfather was so impressed with him. He asked about him and the shepherd told him the story. He's like, hey, he's your grandchild. So that angry ruler was so angry with his captain that uh, his reaction was to invite him and his wife to dinner and he fed him his own son. It's heartbreaking. But that's the story of Titus Andronicus to, to, uh, to a degree. And that uh, military leader couldn't react to a king but the way he reacted is after many years, that grandson went back and formed a Persian army and attacked his grandfather. And that leader, the military leader, opened the doors for him to do so. So you see that chain of events that led like in a very ancient, violent story. What's not to love about Cyrus? If he didn't even do anything yet, and there's this much that is around him. And of course, there are the stories of how he spread religious tolerance and people kind of flocked to him, wanted to be with him, wanted to be part of his empire. And that kind of sped things for the spread of the Persian empire of thousands of years today of beautiful culture. You read about Cyrus's Zoroastrian like love for peace and humility in, in the way he did things. Even, even when he died on the tombstone, he had something like tread lightly, uh, you know, don't, don't begrudge me my small piece of earth where I'm lying. Like it was just so, so much, so much love. Here lies Korosh, uh, which is, uh, you know, their name for, for Cyrus. There's so much to love about that part of the world. Like, see how my heart breaks for whatever's going on. It's been going on for a couple of years now. All the love to to the people of Iran and the women of Iran. And I really, really hope they, they come back. We love their culture. We love their history. And we stand in solidarity with them. And their food. Their food is really good, too. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. But you're talking to a Lebanese. So we share food and we claim it's ours first. So. <laughs> your food is my food my food is your food oh that's great that's great okay wow see now i'm thinking about all the delicious food and all the wonderful cultural things and now it's really hard to get back to this but i will i will do my best so i think you know the next logical question would be you know so when you're doing all the research and and trying to you know craft a, a character for a video game 
you know, how much of this history, like, like there's so much, right? Obviously there's textbooks and textbooks and books filled with information and you can't cram it all into your game because you have to make it work for a game. So, you know, how much of the research that you get to do when you do a deep dive actually ends up in the game that people are seeing? A lot of it. Um, so I cram it differently. So if, for example, I'm researching Cyrus and I'm like, okay, so he was about this years old. He had uh, these prominent figures. So his family tree is going to be his daughter, his his son-in-law, and probably Xerxes. It's like you have all of these figures that we know of around him. And then I know of his religious tolerance, about his background. So what kind of personality he will have? What will he know? We know he was a great military leader. He has a great, you know, physical ability. So we recreate the possibility of him looking in a specific way and knowing what he's done in his empire. You give him traits that are based on these known things like tolerance. Hatshepsut, for example, of Egypt was known for her savviness in religion and her wearing a fake beard because she wanted to convince them that she has the uh, ability to rule just like a man. Um, so she faked uh, like an iron beard that she wore on very formal occasions. So we kind of have have an idea of how to build someone physically, uh, her ability to to be this strong. And so it's it kind of everything is influenced by how you see someone. How do you see very just an insanely brave woman? How do you how do you see her? Did she fight with her military or not? Did she favor formalities or not? So you can just kind of go to the formal Egyptian dress instead of the casual Egyptian dress. Uh, she did she uh, was she religious? So you, your dress is influenced by religion. Did she care uh, a lot about jewelry and dress? Like so you know how busy uh, you're going to make her her wardrobe. All of these were factors, and especially that to me history isn't just a set of events happened in a specific date. It's the romance of the story. It's, oh my gosh, like the, what, his grandpa wanted to kill him? Like all of that things that, you know, just kind of make history so much more colorful and crazy and insane. But I want my players to know this. So uh, what I do is recreate events for them in which these things are happening, right? I couldn't do it with Cyrus, for example, because it happened in his past. But I can recreate it and put it in front of the player and the player would see that globe and go, what? This happened? And then they can click and go, yes, this was actually the past of Cyrus the Great. So I, I just don't, I love history and it's it's much more powerful than I am. I can never write that type of insanity. So I try to trim the fat and put it inside of my game in any way possible. So I can tell the player, look, look, this happened. Now you know, right? I mean, I think it's fantastic. And I mean, I guess the other thing is how much space do you have to be accurate? And, and where do some of the cuts and other things have to be made and adjusted, right, to account for the fact that it is still like edutainment, right? It's It can't be completely 100% accurate. So where does that, you know, line fall? And the, the fact that most of the players don't like to read. Like don't like to read this much text when they're playing a game, not they don't like to read in general. So it's still an entertainment. So keep it at X amount of, of characters. It's like kind of like 
Twitter-ish kind of rule or X now. I just, I don't, don't like the new change. I don't like this, this type of change. <laughs> so, you know, like when, when the, the good old days of, of Twitter, uh, you are bound by a certain amount of, of uh, characters. And uh, we have something like this for the game that if you're going to write an event, the, sh- the shortest, the simplest way possible, and you deliver the, the story and then you can make a chain out of it. So you deliver the first couple of lines of what happened and then you have options and the player clicks them. And if they chose the same thing that happened in history, it takes them to the next sequence and the next sequence, just the way it happened uh, historically, or they can choose something else and, you know, have a different outcome. So uh, I try, it's there. And I don't necessarily want the player to play this specific way. I love that the player is also using their own strategy, what's really good for them and living their own scenario. So it's kind of cool to see, but it's there. At least it's there. And, you know, that's what I love that, you know, the, the care that you guys put in is is, ast- is astounding just because like you look at other historical games that are made and some have like an astonishing amount of detail and some do not. Yeah, no, I, I love knowing that it's there if you want to find it and you can kind of choose and customize how, okay, how much do I want to see? How much do I want to get? How much do I want to just go in and play this? And I think in terms of media, like we don't have a lot that's committed to showing a sort of respectful and accurate portrayal of especially cultures in the in the Middle East. So, you know, was that intention, like an intentional focus that you know, you wanted to choose some of these, you know, a- ancient Mideast cultures and, and, and really do them justice because we're not seeing that anywhere else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There aren't many games that kind of teach you about that part of the world. Generally, everyone here in the U.S. Uh, is focused on Greece and Rome. And you feel like, oh, did you know about the Phoenicians? And it feels like they, they know more about Carthage because it was in contact with Rome. And I'm like, Carthage was a colony of Phoenicia. It's like one expansion of their cities. But like, how how much can you dial it back to people who don't know about you? So yeah, that was a great opportunity for me to expand into that part of the world. For me also to, to, to learn more, to do what I love doing, but also kind of dissect it. And this dissection is great discipline. Like this whole thing, like, I love cooking. It's very therapeutic for me. And similarly, you know, because similarly in baking or cooking, you have to go with certain measurements in a specific way. So it's methodical. So the gaming industry kind of helped me or the old world helped me bring these large, vast, colorful stories and just bring them down to, you know, a few words to like being able to to dissect it enough to fit it in a specific pattern. And uh, shed some light onto what happened. Like, for example, democracy in the U.S. is largely credited to what civilization? Greece or, or, you know, Roman Republic even. You know? Yes. But there are many examples on how the Greek philosophers talked about the democracy that was available for, that, that was in Carthage. And they talked about how their system of rule, very democratic, was the most effective rule. So it's it was there. The Greeks didn't have it yet. And they were talking about it being there in different civilization. So when I'm talking to my kids, I'm like, you are a half Phoenician babies, and this is where democracy came from. <laughs> and then they go to school and they flunk their tests. 
<laughs> well, you know what? It's setting them up for real world success. Maybe not scholastic since our system skews in a different way, but they know the, the real history, the real truth. And that's more important. Well, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I don't want them to be the kids at school going, well, actually, but it's, it is sad. It is sad that, you know what? It existed for a, a while longer. It was there before, before it was in Greece. And uh, there are gods in mythology that were taken by Phoenician gods. And uh, yeah, so I, you know, it's kind of nice to, to shed light to some of those things. And uh, that world didn't start with Greece and Rome. They are wonderful civilizations. They are, uh, you know, they, they've done so much, but like that world started with Sumeria, Ashuria, Babylon, Jbel, that city that lands on the coast of Lebanon alone is 11,000 years old. So um, like it's, it's worth the attention. It's worth the conversation. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it's really good to see like accurate love and care given and committed as well, like committing fully to tell these stories from a region of the world that in the U.S. especially we sort of gloss over. And while well, considering recent history, a lot of people probably are like, eh, I don't really want to talk about that. So, no, it's it's refreshing to see also just because games industry could get better at it, but also film and TV are sort of behind it's very telling that when I try to talk about media with a lot of people who do Persia, that the only thing they can bring to mind is like the 300s. Like it's very telling that that's a very wide open space that you don't, you can't really talk about much else. And so I am very happy though, that with old world, I can sort of bring in something and say, actually, wait here, there's this thing. We're going to learn history and it's great and it's accurate. Like it's not just some really weird, bad orientalizing thing. Well, for you, I will say this, that the next couple well, next couple of games, depends which one comes out. We're working on three at the same time. But uh, two of our next games are going to be very much focused on that part of the world and bringing, uh, uh, you know, eccentricities from that part of the world. It's going to be fun with uh, one of them being specifically Persia-centered. Oh, my God. Folks, you've heard it here first. So if you if you're looking for something new in media that that is Persia focused, I will refer you to this episode until eventually the announcement is made and we can hear more about this unnamed project. <laughs> it's Persia focused and not necessarily from a historical uh, specification. Something that was taken from Persia and then the whole story happens around it. Interesting. Well, I'm really excited to learn more about this as as more details get dripped down to the rest of us laymen outside of the studio. So one thing I did really want to ask you is, so I know you mentioned working with Christopher Tin on the soundtrack. Now, I, having listened to it, it's gorgeous and wonderful. And I recommend that anyone listen to the soundtrack from this game. But it, it struck me because what it, little fun fact, and, and it's kind of a little nod to the hard work you've done, is that when I was looking at trying to work with our composer to compose our theme for this show, mm-hmm. the refer- one of the reference tracks that I sent him was from your game, from sort of the whatever the track is called, referencing Persia. Uh-huh. And I just wanted to know, like, you know, how how did you go about researching to try to get an accurate sound so a lot of 
of researching happened with Chris on board. Like all the sounds that I could, so we created a soundtrack that before we worked with Chris, uh, like hands on, we always knew that we were going to work with Chris for sure. But I was creating a soundtrack on the side it had that, that Chris didn't work on. It's just like more music that we licensed. And building the soundtrack, when I felt that these are sounds that I want Chris to work around, I made a special list just for Chris and it kept growing. And I send it to Chris so he'd surround himself with the music. I created like a certain type of, if you want, uh, vision or vocabulary. Like we want this pleading sound, like someone who's chanting in plea and religious prayer because everything was intertwined. People are going to war. They pray to the gods. There's just like this this vast world where you can feel echoes between mountains and skies and this chant. That's the only way we could, I don't know, just bring in the sound of that part of the world is through chanting, through uh, the ambiance of the, of the music itself. So I went back to that part of the world and I brought in the vocabulary that was very important for me to use to talk to Chris and uh, it is hard having English not be my first language. And I'm trying to find those exact words that I know what they mean in my language and just kind of trying to figure out how to translate that to Chris. And honestly, it's just all goes to Chris. Chris is a phenomenal mind reader, spirit leader, a reader, a vision reader. Like he just, he just got it. I'd go for a box and I hear like some type of instrument in the back and I, um, uh, go look it up and send it to Chris. And I say, oh, these sounds would be great to include. And what do you know? He does the Chris thing and and it's it's there. There was like tabla and nai and all of those instruments that are old that I'd find and unearth and send to Chris. And he was just doing his, 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 uh, his Chris magic. I mean, it's incredible. And for those who are unfamiliar with the music of Christopher Tin, he scored, I mean, I feel like, Still, probably the most notable thing he scored that people would maybe be familiar with in a wider context would be the music for Civilization Four. So he created the main theme, Babia Two, and there's been a billion covers and other things done online. It's gorgeous, and uh, it's one of my favorite uh, study soundtracks to listen to. So, to anyone who doesn't know Chris, it's not like the typical gaming sound of like Nintendo, or it's just a whole score of incredible music that Christopher generates it just you can find him on Twitter on Instagram just, just go take a look he always posts new things that are happening in in his world new scores he is working on and shares information with all y'all so just give him a, a good follow and see what uh, an amazing musician uh, is capable of I just find him incredibly phenomenal he's a friend so he's gone with Soren to Oxford and Stanford and they've known each other for for a very long time I don't want to say how long it makes me feel very old <laughs> he's always here in our part of the world and he's working on very exciting things and it's uh, I, ca I can't wait for him I don't know if he shared it already or he hasn't shared it but it's it's just give him a follow and uh, yeah yeah well I hope they do because he is awesome I don't know him personally, but yes, he is awesome. Interested in learning more about the wonders of ancient Persia? 
visit the UCLA Archaeological Gazetteer of Iran. The Gazetteer digitally preserves famous locations, world heritage sites, and lesser-known areas from all time periods of ancient Iranian history. You can explore using the interactive map, or visit the encyclopedic catalog for updates to the ever-growing list of archaeological sites. Visit www.arangazetteer.ucla.edu and learn more about what the Archaeological Gazetteer of Iran has to offer. So there are two questions I, I normally sort of end the uh, podcast with, and I'm going to expand it a little for you because obviously you don't, you, you're not within the field of Iranian studies. So I feel like I can open it up. So the first of, of which is, you know, what do you believe is the greatest legacy left to us from ancient Persia slash for you, the Middle East? That's not fair. It isn't fair, honestly, because, uh, it's like I'm trying to be nice to the Persian, uh, you know, culture. It's just very, if, if they've done some wonderful things. I um, I don't know where to start. Like, I'm not Muslim, but for Islam alone, the scholars that were available uh, by way of, of Persia are amazing. These The scholars in, in terms of science, in terms of philosophy, uh, Ibn Sina, Al-Ghazali, Khawarizmi, Omar Khayyam, Farabi, like they're, they're all Persians. They sound like, oh, these are Arabic names, but they're actually Persians. And if you look at, you know, like even literature, I won't, I won't go to, to, uh, history because we've talked about history a lot, but, uh, like a thousand and one nights comes from the land of Persia, but it's called Arabian nights because later the Arabs translated it. And uh, added to it, like the story of Aladdin and the story of Ali Baba, and these stories were added to the uh, story that came from the Arab from uh, a thousand and one nights. They were called thousand and one nights uh, because there's this woman called Shahrazad who uh, was telling story every night to a king so he doesn't kill her, and she kept him on a cliffhanger. So he doesn't kill her. So he hears the rest of the story. Every night she did the same thing for a thousand and one nights. So um, there was a Syrian Christian uh, man around the 1700s, if I'm not mistaken, who added the story of Aladdin and of Ali Baba. And they called it the Arabian Nights because they were told in all in all different places and coffee shops and gathering places with Hakawati, the storyteller. And they were repeated in that part of the world. And uh, this is where they originated from to the rest of the world, from the, the, the Arabs. So there's so much that is given. The art, the colors, uh, the Persian miniatures. What is there? What's, it's just a whole lot of world to love, a whole lot of culture. I love that that part of the world and how much it gave to us today. Uh, my heart breaks and I send all sorts of love and prayers and blessings and prayers and prayers to, to them and hope they come out of this and get to live in a better, better legacy uh, than what, what they are living through today. Lexi, there's so much I can tell you about Persia. We might need another podcast to just dissect different parts. I can talk about the art of Persia, the food of Persia. The history of the food in Persia, the leaders of Persia, the Achaemenid, the Assassinids, the scholars—they've um, given so much to the world. So, yes, they have so many wonderful different legacies. And yes, I—I I would, I believe me, I would love 
to get into more deep, deeper <laughs> conversations with you on all of those individual topics. And maybe we will have to have you back because maybe we have many topics you need to get through. But the last question is, what do you think would be the best legacy that we ourselves can leave for future students of Iranian or Middle Eastern studies? Like Middle Eastern, anything, that part of the world, let's go with that. Mm. I think to approach uh, that world with humility, the world that is still unknown to us, largely unknown, and to have interest in that part of the world and understand that things weren't birthed with the histories. And I say it, they say it lovingly with the birth of what we know today as the white people of Europe. Like, sure, Greece is amazing, amazing history and drama and Alexander the Great and his dad. That's like, you know, Olympias being the much just so much there too. Uh, but uh, there is so much in that world. There's so much interest. Approach that world with love and humility and interest and be open to have uh, your beliefs change about where certain things came from. Like I said earlier, uh, democracy didn't, you know, originated from from a different part of the world, and it's older than we think it is. So, while sometimes our our inner fear that oh well, I don't I don't want my beliefs to change. I told I've been told you know this this way and why and you know we're suspicious. Keep in mind all of these studies, archaeology, and they've been coming to us just recently in the 1900s, in the early, in the mid-1800s. So we're just still learning about that part of the world. If you don't make that step to have an open mind, you're going to affect generations and centuries of education to come just because we just do not want to be open to something that's just very nascent, very new, that can influence a whole lot of generations to come. So, Yeah, no, that's a great answer. We, we have a lot to do to make the future study of this part of the world and, and these fields better. So that's a great first step. And the, the actually last thing I'm going to ask you is where can people find you if they want to follow, you know, your work and, and find the games? You can find me at Layla Cat J on uh, X, just Twitter. I post sometimes what I think. If you find another account associated with mine, it's called Layla Aghani, which is like my account, uh, for for the Arabic audience. So when I go and the algorithm is playing its thing, it plays it in Arabic for me on one account and in English. So if you are English speaking, go to at Layla Kat J and you'll find me there. Great. Well, we'll make sure that we will link a lot of as many things as I can find to your project so people can find it. And, you know, I hope they'll go and download Old World and get obsessed with with this version of history just like I am as well so we do want to have you back because you've mentioned a lot of things that we didn't get <laughs> to go into but I wanted to thank you for taking time out of your very busy schedule to come and talk to us so thank you Alexi. thank you so much and I'd love to do that podcast 10 minutes to cover culture 10 minutes to cover history 10 minutes we cover scholars <laughs> Legacies of Ancient Persia is a Port of Oud podcast production, hosted and edited by Lexi Henning, with select episodes co-hosted by Marissa Stevens. Cover art provided by Hadley Leesman and original music by Brent Arhart. 
Established in 2017 as the premier research center for the study of ancient Iran, the mission of the Purdevud Institute for the Study of the Iranian World is to engage in transformative research on all aspects of Iranian antiquity, including its reception in the medieval and modern periods, by expanding on the traditional domains of old Iranian studies and promoting cross-cultural and interdisciplinary scholarship. Thanks for listening to our show. It's available to stream on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Portavood Institute and at Portavood UCLA. Or visit our website, portavood.ucla.edu. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star rating and review us. For podcast inquiries or questions about the Portavood Institute, please email us at portavoodpodcastproduction at gmail.com. We'll see you next time as we continue our deep dive into the legacies of ancient Persia.